So Mark chapter 14. And let's hear God's word. It was now two days before the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread and the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest him by stealth and kill him for they said, not during the feast lest there be an uproar from the people. And while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment, pure nard, very costly, and she broke the flask and poured it over his head. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, why was the ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. But Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can do good for them, but you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly, I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money, and he sought an opportunity to betray him. And on the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he sent two of his disciples and said to them, go into the city, and the man carrying a jar of water will meet you, follow him. And wherever he enters, say to the master of the house, the teacher says, where is my guest's room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished and ready there, prepare for us. And the disciples set out and went to the city and found it just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. And when it was evening, he came with the twelve, and as they were reclining at table and eating, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They began to be sorrowful and to say to him one after another, Is it I? He said to them, It is one of the twelve, one who is dipping bread into the dish with me. For the Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. And as they were eating, he took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them and said, Take, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And when they'd sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives, and Jesus said to them, You will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, Even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, truly, I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. And they went to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death, remain here and watch. And going a little further, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And he came and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? 
Watch and pray that ye may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. And he came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It's enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. And immediately, while he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Now the betrayer gave them a sign, saying, The one I will kiss is the man. Seize him and lead him away under guard. And when he came, he went up to him at once and said, Rabbi, and he kissed him, and they laid hands on him and seized him. But one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. And Jesus said to them, have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day I was with you in the temple teaching and you did not seize me, but let the scriptures be fulfilled. And they all left him and fled. A young man followed him with nothing but a linen cloth about his body. They seized him, but he left the linen cloth and ran away naked. And they led Jesus to the high priest. And all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes came together. And Peter had followed him at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest. And he was sitting with the guards and warming himself at the fire. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death. But they found none, for many bore false witness against him. But their testimony did not agree. And some stood up and bore false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy the temple that is made with hands, and in three days I will build another not made with hands. Yet even about this their testimony did not agree. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But he remained silent and made no answer. Again the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his garments and said, What further witnesses do we need? You have heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. And some began to spit on him and to cover his face and to strike him, saying to him, Prophesy. And the guards received him with blows. And as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came. And seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You also were with the Nazarene, Jesus. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway, and the rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him and began again to say to the bystanders, This man is one of them. But again he denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, Certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time, and Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. Well, of course, these are uh, familiar words for many of us who uh, come to church at Easter. We have heard various parts of this read out at different times. But the the big question before us is what do they mean? We've heard them read out. We know the story of the Lord's Supper and the the Gethsemane and all that. But how do they 
speak to us. And what I want to do in the few minutes we have before us this morning is, as we're doing throughout our series in Mark's Gospel, we're looking at the big picture. I want to present to you a big picture of this passage. And think of it like Google Earth. You have Google Earth and you see the whole globe and then you scan down, you scan down, you scan down. Or think of it like you go to an optician and you, you're trying to see clearly uh, the eye chart at the end and they get one lens in front of you and you don't see it that clearly. There's another lens and then there's a third lens and now you see it. Either way, we're scanning down from Google Earth, getting clearer and clearer. We're getting a, 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 one lens after another, gradually getting clearer and clearer. And there are three cuts here or three lenses that Mark has to show us the real meaning of the Passover. And it's hugely important because so often we misunderstand what the point of the cross is, what the point of the Passover is, what the point of these um, pinnacle days of the life of Jesus really mean and how they apply to our lives. And so critically significant that we understand and we grasp there are many, many misunderstandings that people have about who Jesus is, for sure. But as Mark is telling the gospel about who Jesus is as the Son of God, it is culminating this moment of him as he goes to the cross. This is the Jesus. But what does it mean and how do we understand it? And there are these three lenses here in this passage, these last uh, few hours or so of Jesus's life here on earth before he is crucified and then of course rises again, where Mark in this chapter deliberately has these three lenses to give clarity to the real meaning of the Passover, to the real meaning of the cross. And so I'm going to present to you those three lenses and we'll get clearer and clearer as we see. And then finally we'll go, that's the real meaning of the cross. The first lens is a story of the woman who anoints Jesus. This is verses 3 to 9. And of course there's this very uh, costly ointment. Almost certainly it was um, pure spike nard that would have come from India and hugely expensive. One scholar estimates that it would have cost a whole year's salary. And she breaks it and pours it, the whole thing, on Jesus' head from Top to bottom, he would have been drenched in the stuff. He would have had a shower in pure spikenard. One scholar estimates, as I say, this would have been a whole year's salary. This is tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, in our terms of dollars, at least a whole year's salary, a lot of money poured out on Jesus. And it's not surprising then that those who are watching this take place object and say, surely this money should be given to the poor. But Jesus says, no, she is doing a beautiful thing. In fact, she, in her memory, now we, whenever we preach the gospel, as Jesus says, we tell the story, she gets it. She gets the central importance of Jesus' death. One of the most amazing things about the gospels is how much time they spend talking about Jesus' death. This is not what you normally get in a biography. They normally talk about his life. But the Gospels emphasize his death, and she gets it. This is the most important thing about Jesus, his death. What is more, by using this hugely expensive ointment, which of course is, uh, as Jesus says, is, is symbolizing his death. The ointment and the, and, and, and the spices were used in Jewish custom to, to, uh, to look after a dead body, and so it's symbolizing that he is about to die. What, what Jesus says, this is a beautiful thing. Obviously, we should take care of the poor. Jesus says, you, you, the poor are always with you. You can certainly take care of the poor whenever you want, but at this moment of history, there's a more important priority Namely, Jesus' death on the cross. And we have to feel it and, 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 and 
the aroma of it. To let that ointment fill the room. Lift us. Realize this is something beautiful. So counterintuitive, isn't it? You think when we read this out in church life and we talk about Gethsemane and, and of course Peter weeping at the end, the last thing we think is beauty. And yet according to Jesus, this woman who gets it, it is indeed a beautiful thing. His death, it's good. And it's good Friday. It's a beautiful thing. That's the first lens. Second lens is the supper. Of course, the Lord's Supper, communion, Eucharist that Christians uh, uh, celebrate uh, um, still today in fulfillment of Jesus' instructions, uh, the sacrament of the Lord's Supper, the ordinance of the Lord's Supper. And this whole central section of this story is all really about that Lord's Supper. I mean, there are different parts to it, of course. The, Jesus tells them to prepare for it, verse 12. And then there's the actual institution of the Lord's Supper, 22 25. But then they're still in this moment, they're now singing a hymn as they go up to Mount Olives, Mount of Olives, and that's all part of the celebration of this supper moment. And then, the, 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 probably, it would have been the Egyptian halals. It's known the Psalm 113 to Psalm 118. They were singing uh, that, that praise to God at the Lord's Supper and and uh, at the Last Supper. And then the the Gethsemane also echoes with the central importance of the supper in this in this text because Jesus there talks about remove this cup from me. Of course, that's the cup. Of, of God's wrath that Jesus is going to take on our behalf. So the whole thing here is the supper. And the supper, the woman gets it. She gets that it's beautiful, Jesus' death. And the supper depicts it. And what it depicts is this is the final moment. That Jesus' death is, is, is the fulfillment. That it's done <laughs> And it's, if, if, the, if, the, if the woman's ointment is meant to bring into the room the smell of something beautiful, the, the supper is meant to depict, visualize. Of course, the broken body, Jesus says. Uh, he, took, he took bread and after blessing it, broke it, symbolizing the, the, his, his, the, his death. Take, this is my body. And then... The cup that he takes, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Uh, fulfilling most his words in Exodus 24 about the Passover, when the animals were uh, sacrificed and the blood was poured out, Jesus saying, now this is, my, this is the blood of the covenant, my blood poured out for many. The chronology of this almost certainly happened on a, on a Thursday evening, uh, in my view anyway, a Thursday evening. Uh, the same, it says here the same day, but what you have to remember is that in Jewish ways of counting, the day went from sunset to sunset. So this was in the evening, by our reckoning the day before the Friday in which the Passover and that fateful year took place. But by their reckoning, because Jewish calendar in those days went from sunset to sunset it's the same day that evening Thursday evening this took place it was a kind of Passover meal but a Passover meal with a difference 
there's no lamb that's eaten. Or is there? As the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Christ, our Passover lamb, was sacrificed. And it depicts that sacrifice. What it means for us then is we're all, <laughs> we've got different church traditions here, different views on how you interpret the communion, the Eucharist, or the, last, the Lord's Supper. With all that of central importance is that it is telling us that it's done. As the Passover looked to the moment when God passed over the sins of his people because of the sacrifice of the Lamb, and, and so now when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we look back to the moment when that was finally fulfilled, when the Lamb of God took away the sins of the world. It fulfills Exodus 24, verse 8. Also, Isaiah 53, 11 or 12. When Jesus says it's for many, he's almost certainly referencing the prophecy of Isaiah that the suffering servant would give himself for the many, that they might be counted, in Isaiah's word, righteous. So our sins are forgiven, but we're also counted righteous with Jesus' righteousness when he dies on our behalf for the many. His substitutionary atonement, to use the theological uh, terminology. So there's this lens of the supper that depicts it. There's the lens of the woman who gets it. And then there's the lens of these people who need it. The disciples, Jesus says, strike the, sh- the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. They need it. Peter denies Jesus three times. Even Peter needs it. Judas, who, of course, rejected Jesus and betrayed him in a, a way that is beyond human understanding. Perhaps it had something to do with money. There's certainly some insinuation of that. But I, when I think of trying to explain why Judas did what Judas did, there's no real rational explanation of it. John Owen, a great Puritan theologian, said that he who is under the power of sin is under the power of a kind of madness. That's where Judas was. Kind of madness. And then there's the religious leaders who condemn Jesus. All their theological sophistication as Jesus declares that, yes, I am the son of the blessed one. And they condemn him. And then there's the young man in a moment of levity in the midst of the, of the passage. The young man who keeps on following Jesus when the disciples turn away. The young man, when he's confronted, he flees, flees away, naked, vulnerable. Needy. And of course, as Mark tells uh, this story of these three lenses of the, of the woman, the beautiful aroma. <sighs> it's a beautiful thing. And the supper, which depicts it, it's finished. His finished death. 
for the many. And all these different people who need it. The question that then hangs over the passage is will we receive it? Receive what? The real meaning of the Passover, which is what? Jesus finished sacrifice for sinners that we might stand righteous and free. I um, have thought long and hard over the years about Peter and his denial of Jesus. Peter the strong, the leader. It's amazing to me that we create categories of people who don't, don't need Jesus. Uh, Peter, the strong, the religious leaders, the disciples, the church. It was Archbishop William Temple who said the main barrier to the spread of the Christian church is the Christian church. <laughs> Peter, who's so strong, surely he doesn't. Surely he doesn't need it. He, he'll never deny Jesus. And yet, all these stories of the different issues that are going on in the contemporary church, and we look at this, and we realize we all need a Savior. I love to read biographies of the great leaders of the past, and uh, I. Uh, the George Washington, amazing leader. FDR, astonishing leader. Churchill. I've often wondered when reading biographies about Churchill why there's so little. It seems as if he didn't have a vital Christian faith, as far as I could tell for many years reading them. He, he used to joke, of course he grew up going to church. He used to joke that he'd gone to church so often when he was young that he'd invested enough in the bank of observance never to go again. Which just means that he doesn't understand the body of Christ. That when we're together, there's a spiritual reality taking place. And that's often saddened me about Churchill. Did he really believe or not? And I recently, and I, I don't know the answer to that, but I recently came across in another biography of him when Churchill, you know, Churchill, the great leader, when he was in his darkest moment, when he felt that he was all alone and success was entirely out of his hands, According to this biographer, in Churchill's own words, he wrote, he prayed long and earnestly, end quote. Oh, my friend, don't think you don't need a savior. And of course, that's the real meaning of the Passover. And the question is, will you receive it? It seems to me, and I don't know whether you would agree with this, but it seems to me, in the last 30 or 40 years, the Christian church has done a great disservice to the, to the watching world by rarely preaching sin. 
What a huge mess. I've heard people say, we don't want to tell people that they're sinners on Sunday morning. They've been beaten up all week. Well, that's certainly, I understand what that's, that's about. I want to encourage, I know, I, I've been beaten up all week too. I, I understand. No, I haven't, but I understand. We must encourage one another. It shouldn't be a depressing experience. It should be lifting. The worship must be vital and joyful. And we're going to sing at the end. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It should be filled with energy when we come. Of course. But that energy is dependent upon the reality, the dynamic of sin and therefore Savior. Do you believe you're a sinner? Even Sigmund Freud seemed to. Uh, I, I've read a number of books by him, and in one place, Freud says that, in his terms, contemporary psychoanalysis proves the reality of the sinful nature of man by exposing the beast within. Freud! Who could look at our world right now and not think that the issue we are really dealing with is the madness of sin? Of course, that's why at the end Peter goes away weeping. He broke down and wept. I wonder when the last time we did that was. Perhaps we think we're too good for it or beyond that. You know, Charles Spurgeon, one of the greatest preachers the world has ever seen, after he would preach, it would, he would often be found in the, in the vestry at the back of the church, on his knees, weeping for his failures as a preacher. Spurgeon. Peter. Because you see, the real meaning of the Passover is yes, we're sinners. And therefore, we behold the Lamb of God who takes away our sin, which of course is the gospel. And it's that gospel that we stand for as a church and that we believe the world most needs. Let's pray together. Our Lord God, as we come to sing in a moment, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, we pray that with these lenses now in front of us, the woman, the beauty of, the, uh, of your death, and the supper depicting the, the final fulfillment of your death, and then these people, the different categories that leaves no one out, that we would, yes, weep for our sins, and then behold the Lamb of God and weep that our sins are covered. Weep with joy. Help us to see you. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. To see the real meaning of the Passover. In Jesus' name. Amen.